just do that. Edit That's room. Dinner arrives, so we should be good. Perfect. All right, let me just tweet out that we started. All right, I am now joined by J. Andrew World, who many of you have seen before on my show, Give Them an Argument, where he works as our graphic designer, and on a couple of shows about movies that he co-hosts, um, and uh, Bad Takes, and Movie Night Extravaganza. Uh, and even if you haven't seen him, uh, you have very likely seen some of his work if you're listening to this, because uh, he, for example, uh, drew the cover image of uh, of my latest book, uh, the Christopher Hitchens one. Uh, he has uh, he does all of the thumbnails for uh, for our uh, for my show. Uh, he's uh, designed numerous album covers. Uh, and he's uh, he's also a, a graphic novelist, uh, often in this you know the kind of vein of um, uh, the the kind of like sort of documentary graphic novels uh, that I'm trying to think of a good exemplar of that. You, you can probably tell me more than I can. Yes, exactly. Uh, I I just completely blanked on his name. The best example to to, to suggest because he did Palestine. And his new one on um, indigenous uh, issues in Canada is also fantastic. And I can't believe I forgot his name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe uh, Joe something, is that who you're talking about? Joe, Joe Sacco, yes. He did, he did yes. a book with, uh, uh, with Chris Hedges, if, uh, which, which might be a point your audience is, uh, uh, you know, if they're, well, honestly, any of his books really are fantastic. Fair enough. So, uh, so Andy, you wanted to, uh, to come on today to talk a little bit about Title 42, because that's an important thing. It's something we haven't really talked about at the mid-show. So uh, fill us in a little bit about what the issue is there. Yeah, well, Title 42 was a um, Trump-era policy that was started, uh, you know, it was written by uh, Stephen Miller. Um, and the whole idea was basically to say that immigrants have diseases, so we need to keep them out during the pandemic. Right. And this was in combination with Remain in Mexico, which were these two horrible policies that, that they had. Um, essentially, like, like, you know, it, it prevents the whole the whole point was to prevent uh, refugees to come here to do what they need to do to seek asylum, because you have to right. be on the soil of the country to seek asylum. Yeah, so the, the whole point was to keep them out. So, um, you know, and, and, and I should I, I should probably say just to make sure everybody's clear on the issue here, um, this is not something that like just willy nilly, you know, a country can sort of decide to do whatever it wants. I mean, under international law, uh, you know, I mean, there are exceptions and whatnot, but, you know, pretty much you have to let people at least like come for long enough to at least make their claim. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, you know, they, they need to have, uh, I believe they need to have, like, a social worker to kind of guide them through the system and, and uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And you know what? I also think that before they even deal with any kind of police, because that's how our system's set up, they should also see a doctor. But right. that's my opinion on, on these things. Which, which, is, which is also something that's... So, okay, so there's one question about whether Title 42 is even, like, legitimate under international law, but then the other question is... 
if the if the issue was really the pandemic, I mean, why not just like you know give people a COVID test when they arrive? Oh, exactly. Uh, you know, but you know, I, I'm okay with uh, during the pandemic if there was if there was a um, reasonable way to put people in um, isolation too. You know, right. uh, which, which I don't think there is the way the way our system's done, but. Yeah, but there's there's no reason in principle you could just like somebody shows up to make an asylum claim, you give the, you know you give them a COVID test, you put them in like I mean it's not like places like this don't exist you know you put them in a hotel specifically for quarantining people and then uh, and then you give them another test a few days later you know make really sure yeah or or how you know you do the rapid test and then you do the the more accurate testing because uh, I know the rapid testing is right has like a high uh, inaccuracy rate or a higher. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't even say that the numbers off the top of my head, but you know that that's definitely a a much better option. I think. Right, that makes sense. Okay, so bring us into the Biden part of the story. So yeah, Biden, you know, um, talked a good game before coming into office. Uh, I, I uh, will say, like, um, I was not impressed with his uh, immigration plan, but the the tone of it, there was a humanity behind it that a lot of candidates didn't have um that wasn't bernie sanders you know right. uh, i'd say bernie sanders and then elizabeth warren had a pretty good uh immigration plan and believe it or not pete Buttigieg um mm-hmm. had an idea in his uh i mean the rest of it was terrible but but um you know uh credit where credit's due here right uh but but the thing is though was there there's a certain thing about the language that that was actually very like oh uh, you know warm and welcoming to it that that wasn't in so uh, you know certainly not Pete Buttigieg's uh, or um, uh, Klobuchar or you know any any of the other you know also rands that that were uh, running because um, I read them all and um, uh, I was hoping that this humanity that we saw in in the uh, written um, you know prose of of his uh, plans would would actually be somewhat seen in there. So I was heartened when he ended Remain in Mexico, but he kept Title 42. Not only was Title 42 kept as a, uh, you know, on the books, but it was also, like, defended in courts by the Biden administration. Right. Uh, So did he actually directly say during the during the campaign that he would get rid of it or would, or was it just that it would sort of go along with the tone of a lot of what he said that he would get rid of it? I think it was mostly the tone. I don't recall him specifically saying title 42. Um, Got, it. To, to Got it. Okay. So, okay. So he, he comes in, not only and he keeps it and it's not like he just didn't get around to it. You know, like that was, uh, like too much other stuff came up for him to uh, to have a chance to you know to sign that particular executive order, uh, but it's um, you know but but he actively had you know administration lawyers uh, defended in court, which you know obviously I, I mean to be clear right I mean this is like what the Trump administration did I mean this is just an executive order right I mean so Biden could have just gotten rid of it by fiat when it came exactly yeah there's a lot of things. Uh, he could have gotten rid of that, that he did, did. This is one of them. Yeah. So he has a. So, I mean, even with actual laws, uh, the uh, you know president can sometimes have the Justice Department just not defend something that they themselves think are you know is unconstitutional, etc. Against court challenges, but 
certainly in this case, it's an executive order, and not only did he not have to defend it, I mean, he literally could have just, you know, made a decision at any point to to stop it from uh, from you know, to uh, to reverse it. Uh, so now he's finally changing course. Why? Um, it's it's really tough to say because I haven't found anything exactly. You know, nobody has said why. But because um, the the ideal time if he was going to do this would have been at the end of that you know at the end of the Afghanistan war. Right, of course. Afghan refugees, but uh, that was not the case then. Uh, it seems to be in conjunction with the Ukraine war. Yeah, which which if so, I mean, would be, I mean, that looks pretty ugly, right? Because I mean, it kind of looks like, well, the, uh, uh, you know, people who, in, in fact, it's kind of it's kind of backwards in a way. I mean, not that I don't think that we should let in re- Ukrainian refugees. I think we should absolutely let in as many as, you know, as many Ukrainian refugees as want to come over here. I, I think it's like one of the the best and like least dangerous, most humane things that we could do to help Ukrainians right now. But it is also a little bit backwards in a sense, right? Because um, like Title 42 being kept and stopping refugees, you know, fleeing from uh, all kinds of violence from um, in different parts of the world from coming over here before, what that meant is people coming from Central America, from places like Honduras, uh, you know, with the death squads and the chaos there, uh, people coming from Afghanistan uh, with the uh, the aftermath of the chaotic end of America's very bloody war there. And in both cases, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, right, like what people are fleeing from are situations that the United States played a large role in bringing about in the first place. Uh, you know, I mean, certainly in the Honduras example, you know, by openly backing that coup, right, notoriously, Hillary Clinton, in the first edition of her uh, of her memoir, uh, bragged about her role in diplomatic negotiations, stopping the elected left wing president of that country from coming back to power. Uh, and in general, right, I mean, you know, Central America is obviously America's traditional imperial sphere of influence. The same way that you know former Soviet republic like like Ukraine or you know part of Russia's, uh, and and that of course Afghanistan. I mean, that's like literally, you know, I mean the. Again, you know, their people are fleeing from a situation that the United States in many ways created, you know, that this is the chaos happening at the end of the bloody failure of uh, U.S. occupation uh, to uh, to sort of develop a regime that could survive in our absence. So none of those people can come over, right? Uh, they're all too covid But uh, the Ukrainians, who are, you know, innocent people who need our help for sure, but who are fleeing from a situation the United States actually didn't create, right? That in this case, you know, a rival oh, power... You can make a long argument that, that uh, it's, it's an indirect uh, reaction to things that we've done over the years, but that's, you know... Yeah, little... yeah, yeah, right. There's an argument you could make that the United States... Um, you know, I mean, Bernie Sanders made a version of this this kind of argument before the war started uh, that uh, that the United States should be doing more to push negotiations and you know and NATO expansion, etc. Uh, and you know, fair enough. But like, you know, there is clearly a sense in which the United States like pretty directly created those situations, whereas in this case, like the direct culprit is Russia. And you know, the point is just that it's it's a uh, it's a little backwards, right? I mean, obviously, I think they should all be able to come. But you know, if you're only going to uh, if you're going to loosen it for one or the other, you know, you'd you'd think that on the, uh, um, I mean, in a way, I mean, it's almost like the thing that like Warhawks always used to appeal to in the early two thousands. You know, the 
the pottery barn principle, right? If you break it, you, uh, you buy it. Um, yeah. you know, like, like you'd think it would be a humane version of that, you know, <laughs> that like, this is people who are, I don't know, people who've been injured by the shards of pottery that we broke, uh, you know, one would think, you know, would, would be at kind of the top of the list for, you know, for, for who's, uh, you know, who's going to be a recipient of American compassion, you know, given like remotely sane priorities. But in this case, it looks like the opposite. It's like, okay, well, if you're fleeing from our enemies, that's different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and then the other thing, too, is like if you've seen the pictures of the Ukrainian immigrants, which um, I am glad that they're not being treated like uh, the way we treat other immigrants, like, you know, from Haiti or uh, right. Honduras. But it's 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 hard not to think that has something you know it's it's you yeah, know with uh, nice the visual bags. contrast is pretty you know tells a story not in a cage that that yeah there, there's it, it's it's incredible it's like well if we can do that for them why can't we do this for everybody right yeah yeah no that is really well said uh, I should say uh, if anybody if anybody has any questions or thoughts about this please do please do get in the queue. And we will uh, we'll take you before we go. Probably could be a relatively short one today, uh, but but I do want to broaden it out a little bit, you know, uh, right now, and just think a little bit, you know, since I know this is like a set of issues that you follow pretty closely, um, that think about in general what the Biden administration's policies for immigrants and refugees have been, because I, in a way. Like, okay, so there's an argument that people will make sometimes. Like, uh, God, I don't remember exactly when this was, but, like, last year sometime I was I was on the Katie Halper show and I was arguing with this guy who I guess, I don't know if exactly what his, his role was, but he was some kind of co-host-esque person that she had at that point. I remember his first name was Jack. And... Um, and, you know, I was arguing about, like, basically electoral strategy and, um, and like, kind of whether people sort of, like, basically what the consequences for the left or for activist movements are if, like, Democrats as opposed to Republicans are in power. And, you know, I think it was one of those things we're looking back on, and I think we were both kind of half right, right, because I think it really depends a little bit on the issue that you're talking about and how it plays out. But I think this is like probably one of the issues that's the strongest case for some of what he was talking about uh because like immigration is something that like blue america was all over when trump was president right i mean like people were hyper focused on the sort of barbarity that you know that the that ice and uh, the border patrol uh shows towards immigrants and refugees uh you know that was good right they should have been but um but that is something that's like almost completely disappeared from public consciousness since Biden took office. And since I know these are issues you follow relatively closely, I mean, like, just I wonder if you want to give us kind of a general sense of like what Biden has been like in terms of immigration and asylum. Well, honestly, it's it's been a fairly uh, it's been a continuity, really, uh, for the most part. There, there's been um, there have been improvements. Uh, I was just talking to. Um, Dan Milo, uh, an immigration lawyer who yes. uh, has a great zero books book, um, uh, you know, uh, to check out, uh, definitely worth reading. But uh, he, he was telling me that uh, one of the good things is that uh, people who've been getting paperwork instead of, um, you know, asylum seekers can get their paperwork to uh, work permits and uh, whatnot. 
to get driver's licenses, work permits, all, all that important stuff to start moving on with their lives in 30 days as opposed to months and months and months and months. Right. So, so there has been improvements and I, and I'm, you know, I don't want to sit here and be like, Oh, it's exactly the same as Trump because right. I think the, the, you know, one of the big problems is that we have a border patrol who's literally going on Fox News right now and, you know, a promoted great replacement theory. You know, right. this is the unit too. Um, uh, I, I mean, I really, I legit wish I could think of a, a real reason to not support a, a union and, and I, you know, like unions and, and like the police unions, the one, you know, any of the police unions. Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, cops, border agents, and, uh, pr- and prison guards. I mean, I think those are the the sort of usual categories of bad unions. But keep going. Yeah, well, unions are made up of their their employees, and if they're bad employees, then they're going to be bad unions. So, sure. I, I guess that's a that's a good example of explaining why you you know how unions work. Unions are made up of people. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so if. Uh, if 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 teachers or auto workers or garbage men have more collective power, it's going to be great. If uh, if if people uh, if if ICE agents and uh, uh, and prison guards have more collective power, not so much. But anyway, keep going. Yeah. Um, so so I mean, um, part of you know one of the big problems is that like he has done nothing to stem uh, any of the wild out of control things that that ICE and CPD and, and uh, our collection of border agencies. Have, have been, um, um, you know, have, have been doing. So, like, uh, he called for a halt in immigration, you know, for uh, for, for um, deportations uh, right after he came into office. And ICE was pulling people out the door after this halt was supposed to And he did nothing about that. Um, so, so there was, you know, there's this weird kind of imbalance that, that this is happening and we're not actually seeing any kind of... Um, uh, you know, actions for a couple of white guys. Uh, it's, it's, you know, almost like he's given them complete uh, impunity to, to do whatever they want, um, despite, you know, whatever rhetoric comes out of him, uh, which I think is the major problem right there. But like I said, there, there are some slight improvements because he did end made in Mexico, which then also got overturned in the courts, which is yeah. ridiculous. You know, again, uh, you know, credit where credit's due there. Um, uh, at least so, he tried. So, so- so, so what was the? Uh, do you know what the basis was of the court decision? I don't even. I didn't want to look because I was going to be really, really, really pissed off. Uh-huh. And uh, I keep forgetting to go back and look. But if I'm not about to go on something, yeah, yeah, yeah. fair <laughs> enough. You want a foul move where you're like throwing things in person because that's usually my reaction to a lot of that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, I, I did. I, I. It really hurts because, like, you know, these are. These are real people's lives we're talking about. So, right. you know, that, that's why I care about this issue. It's, it's you know, it you know how we treat the least uh, the least powerful person is is important because if we're not treating them well, then we're not a really good society. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, for sure, you know, and with, uh, you know, in particular, the Trump did. Um, like the various attempts at some, you know, some version of a Muslim ban or the, um, uh, you know, family separation, certainly like it, it just seemed like, um, a lot of, a lot of the impetus, right. I mean, it's like, there's no, um, the only thing anybody's really getting out of it, 
is is that it's a way of uh, it's a way of signaling you know to the base that you know that they're they're like really tough about this and that's that's kind of it right and, and conversely with uh, with Biden you get the sense sometimes that it's it's just like the only possible calculation behind some of this stuff right because it's it's not really like okay I can understand in a cynical horrible way that like actually providing a meaningful pathway to citizenship for undocumented immigrants for example um i mean honestly i think that's something that like business doesn't really want uh you know what they what they want is is to have a labor force that uh that they don't have to treat very well but uh but but having people be american citizens who can do things like join unions without fear right like i can understand a sort of like self-interested ruling class reason to to oppose that but you know but some of this stuff right i mean it's just like this this kind of like petty cruelty of like defending you know title 42 um instead of just like you know invested in some blocks of hotel rooms to quarantine people in while they get tested like it it just seems like the only possible calculation there is just like oh we don't want to get hit we hit with this in the midterms or something like that which i mean it's stupid because they, you know they haven't really done much to to defend themselves for the midterms right I, I know hillary clinton's out there right now saying that uh democrats need to talk about their accomplishments but like honestly like like um, the child tax credit ended, so, you know, that's not going to help. Um, yeah, okay, so Biden just extended, again, uh, deferment of super loans, but that's, uh, unless unless he's waiting for, like, an October surprise of forgiveness, um, I don't see, uh, you know, that really going anywhere. So, so what, you know, what does it matter if, if they, they actually do something that's technically good, you know, for, for, for the better, and, and they get hit with it? Yeah, no, it, it all just seems like the kind of petty shit that's like, you know, it's the kind of thing that like you sort of imagine somebody pushing up the glasses on their nose will say, well, technically, they've actually done several things for you. And, you know, but it's all like so it's all it's all like so stripped down and mild that like, you know, people don't even really notice or remember, like, you know, maybe you notice if it was gone. But I mean, like, it's not like. You know, it's it's not going to get people excited about coming out and voting for you. It's like, oh, remember when they gave another extension on that? Right? <laughs> you know, like that's uh, that's not. I, I just have a very hard time imagining the psychology of somebody who'd be like, yeah, I'm going to go out and vote because they gave another six months extension, right? You know, on the student, you know, student loans. Like it's it's all it's all such like nickel and dime shit that like I I just don't see it having much of an effect, right? I mean, like in general, I mean, it it just seems like. Yeah, I mean it's a separate issue that we've been talking about, but I mean given that the party that you know, the party in power in the middle of the, you know, new president's first term like almost always, you know, uh uh takes it in the midterms, it just I mean I saw Bronco Marketich put it really well on um Twitter, I think yesterday, which is that like look to try to like for a variety of reasons if if Biden really, you know, was really going to meaningfully head that off what it you know what he really would have wanted was like just some like crazy like early years of the new deal kind of like flurry of like big dramatic activity to get people excited about it and you know to put it mildly that's not been what the last year and a half has been like no yeah exactly i thought uh, you know and uh there was a liberal that like was making some like point of like 
I keep trying to explain to black people what Biden's done for them, and they won't. They keep, they keep saying these other things, and and they won't listen to me. I'm like, maybe you should listen to them. And he's like, no, 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 but they're not listening to me. Yeah, man, it's, uh, ungrateful Negroes. What are you going to do? Yeah, I, I, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, 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 and again, I mean, like, you should just, like, and, and this is something that drives me crazy in general. Like, I, this is anecdotal. I might be wrong about this. It's possible that you can find people in, like, 1976 or whatever doing this, but, like, I just feel like it's my perception of the elections I've seen in my lifetime. I feel like things have, like, there's been this really insidious trend just in, like, the last seven years where um, where like liberals and Democrats are like way more likely than I ever remember them being before to like get mad at and blame like the voters for not voting for them. Which uh I, I um I remember like Jim Hightower and uh because recently I, I reread um uh if the gods wanted us to vote they would have given us candidates a couple of years ago. <laughs> uh huh which, you know, it's a great little book, but, like, it, it is very much of a moment. So if anybody is wanting to do anything about, like, the 2000 election, read that book. Um, it, it's fantastic. Uh, but, but like, there was hope in that book about, like, a left movement thing, even though there wasn't, like, a Bernie Sanders or Yeah. I, I mean, it just it just seems like, I don't know. I mean, like, it, it just whether we're talking about, like, all of the 2016, 17 stuff, which is like, you know, sort of people are evil if they didn't vote for Trump or, or sorry, people are evil if they did vote for Trump or, or like the, I mean, I guess the demonization of third party voters isn't new. I mean, I've been saying that since 2000, but like, it, it, it just seems, you know, or like the stuff that you're talking about, you know, it's like, oh, you know, why aren't people, you know, grateful enough for, you know, for Biden to come out and vote for him again? It just, uh, or, you know, vote for Democrats in the midterms. It just always makes me think of, you know, that Bertolt Brecht poem um, after, you know, after Brecht, like, you know, basically fled from McCarthyism uh, and, and like, went back to Germany. He, you know, went back to live in East Germany. And uh, there was that, in 1953, there was this general strike in East Berlin and uh, kind of a workers' uprising, and it was crushed. And then the next day, uh, the, um, uh, the, there were, like, posters put up in East Berlin saying to, you know, to, you know, regain the confidence of the party. You know, people would, would you know, we're going to have to work twice as hard as ever. And, uh, and then the poem, you know, depicts this and has this famous last line about would it not be simpler to simply dissolve the people and elect another and like that's always what this shit makes me think of it's like no you don't like get mad at voters right that's not how this works you know like you you figure out how you can appeal to voters so they'll want to vote for you exactly and this is the uh the atheist philosopher from us out there right Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> it's Bertolt Brecht. Uh, people don't know we're talking about the uh, 2014 evangelical uh, friend Dan Walden referred to it as apologetics porn movie. God's not dead. The evil atheist philosophy professor in the uh, one of the first scenes of the movie 
uh, puts up on the board the list of all the famous smart people throughout history who were atheists, which proves that atheism is true, because that is how philosophy professors like to establish things in their classes. And one of them was Bertolt Brecht. It's like, what, what's the, it was like, a, like was it Ayn Rand was on there and Chomsky. Uh, I, I think it says fascinating things about the filmmakers that they think that that's going to be the evil atheist intellectuals list. But um, let's grab, uh, probably going to go in a minute, but let's uh, let's get the call from Silver. Silver, what's on your mind? Silver, are you with us? Working. Yep, now I hear you. Yep. Okay, my proposition is that since Obama won in 2008, Democrats have just decided that they've won, that they've won forever, and they don't have to do anything. They just are entitled to win forever. Change my mind. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's probably. I think there's probably something to that one. Yeah, I remember. Um, I, I uh, you know, uh, embarrassed now, but but uh, I, I used to watch Rachel Maddow show fairly, you know, pretty regularly back then. Um, and, uh, honestly, like, like it was a much better show too, because she actually did, uh, stuff on immigration. Um, like, like there was some uh, interesting protests that happened. Um, and, uh, it was actually covered on MSNBC, uh, you know, during the Obama years. So, you know, uh, kudos for that. But anyways, um, after the 2008 election, um, she kept doing these reports about how, like, the Republican Party is dead and that they're out in the wilderness and that they're never going to come back. And, and I think that's where they're still at. And, and I think you're right on that. And I really can't change your mind. Um, yeah, no, I think so. I, and, you know, I, I want to be, like, ruthlessly honest here and say that I can remember in, like, 2008, right, you know, when I was 28, um, being dumb enough to believe that, right? I remember believing that, that the, uh, that the Republican Party was just like so like they just screwed themselves over so much in the bush years they were just going to be so unpopular now that you know it was going to it was going to be like a long time until they were really back as like a serious contender and uh looking back on it that just seems idiotic cuz it's like you know it's a two uh you know it's a two party system i mean there's there's no like this this idea that one of them is just going to like as long as we have one and like a short of some like dramatic realignment of American politics that, you know, uh, is far beyond anything we've seen. Like, you know, as long as we've got that, I mean, like, no, whatever people just like Republican, you know, like if like some flavor of Republican politics is like doing poorly, then like there'll just be some new Republican who'll come along and rebrand a little bit and vice versa. Right. I mean, like there's no re like they had this idea. And in some ways, I mean, to be fair, I mean, I think, like if you read like the Rick Perlstein books, in some ways, like I think in like night, like I think this is a very long-standing democratic delusion. That's like every time they win two elections in a row, it's like we're just going to win forever now, you know. And the, uh, and the Republicans are just done. <laughs> 